And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the second best day of the week, of course. That means it's Thursday, the weekend almost here, and just another day of the market grind, of course. Um, as we've kind of been talking about the last few days, the markets really just haven't gone anywhere. Interesting headline this morning on CNBC says that, well, investors are being paid to sit on the sidelines right now as markets aren't going anywhere. Well, that's true, except for the fact the markets are up 8%. So even if you have money in money markets, market, stock market has done better this year even the money markets. But again, this has been really the challenge this year overall is that, you know, this this whole dichotomy between headlines and the Fed, geopolitical risk and all these things, of course, certainly argue that risk is elevated, yet markets continue to do quite well. Uh, yesterday, of course, markets did rally into the end of the day. Now, uh, at, at the open, the markets were up yesterday. We had the inflation report out yesterday morning. Michael Leibowitz and I will talk about that some this morning and what, what actually was in that report and what it means. Um, but we actually sold off, basically I went a little bit negative about midday in the afternoon and then in, in late in the afternoon, markets rallied back positive and actually finished about where we opened yesterday. So kind of a round trip market yesterday. But finishing back above the 20-day moving average, again, this market just holds in a very tight trading range. We've been doing this now for over a month. Uh, the market has gone absolutely nowhere despite you know, everything else that's been going on. It's just been a very quick rotation within markets. Uh, we've been on a sell signal here for the last three weeks. That's getting a little bit extended in terms of time. Now, the, the signal itself has not declined that much, but the time that we've been on this signal is beginning to get rather extended. So this market's going to make a decision here uh, sooner rather than later. And the way that it's looking right now, the markets are going to try to resolve themselves higher. The NASDAQ, uh, in particular is a good example of this. Um, when we take a look at the, the NASDAQ itself, it has been recovering. Now, the recovery in the NASDAQ has not caught up with the performance of the S&P yet because the NASDAQ sold off more than the S&P last year. But the NASDAQ did break out of this trading range yesterday and is starting to make its, its next move higher. But again, this is coming at a very elevated pace. So upside is somewhat limited, but the NASDAQ actually triggered a buy signal yesterday suggesting uh, higher prices for technology stocks, in particular Apple, Microsoft, Google, the kind of the, the leaders of the index. Uh, that breakout is going to potentially move this market a tad higher on that side, just simply from the function that you've now got a buy signal in place, a technical breakout that's going to drag capital into those stocks in particular. Um, but moving back towards the S&P, we haven't quite done that yet, but with the NASDAQ kind of leading the charge and given the weighting of the NASDAQ stocks in the S&P 500, those stocks are going to drag the S&P 500 higher as well. So very likely we're going to get a break out of this trading range to the upside here, uh, either today, tomorrow, or, or early next week. Uh, the only problem with that is, is that the upside is somewhat limited near term. It doesn't mean we can't make some money here on an investment basis. And so we'll probably need to look to adding some exposure uh, to portfolios here short term, just for a trading basis. Uh, we're still in the seasonally strong month of the year, uh, and we're wrapping up that seasonally strong period. But again, markets continue to perform here as, as money tries to move back in. And again, 
there's just a, a lot of pull here at the moment, particularly uh, in the markets. This idea that the Fed is going to be cutting rates is becoming much more, uh, much more vocal uh, within the markets itself. So again, that positive bias to stock prices still remain. And I know this is a, this, as we've really kind of been talking about all week. This has been the real challenge because of this negative narrative that everybody has about the economy, the Fed, historical relationships, you know, recessions. Uh, the NFIB report, the subject of our newsletter this weekend, certainly has lots of recessionary alerts in it, suggesting we have a recession coming. Yet markets have been pricing that in and continuing to improve its stance relative to that economic kind of view. And, and in fact, I got sent a bunch of videos yesterday uh, from people that, you know, uh, there's been several podcasts out lately talking about kind of the, you know, this is going to be the worst recession since the Great Depression coming, but there's absolutely no evidence of that. Could we have a slowdown economically? Yes, we should expect that. But the question is, is how much of that slowdown has already been priced into the markets given the decline in stocks last year and particularly outside the headlines. And this is the one thing that, that a lot of people are missing is that, yes, the markets aren't down that much as a whole, but this has a lot to do with that passive indexing effect we've talked so much about in the past. Michael Leibowitz and I have both written articles on this and that these, the big stocks, right, the Apples, the Microsoft, the Googles, those are holding up the index. They haven't gone down that much, and, and some of them have rallied very well. NVIDIA is up you know, 100% this year already. So again, big rally in, in that particular stock. But underneath that surface, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of devastation that occurred. Um, so if you kind of strip out those top 10 stocks and look at what happened in the markets in 2022, a normal recessionary drawdown occurred in a lot of those, a lot of those stocks and a lot of those sub indexes, right? So it's just you know the passive part of this has been holding markets up and really kind of hiding that underneath that surface devastation that actually occurred. So you know while you don't want to say this time is different, the the market is behaving differently because of this passive indexing effect. And again, that's because that's making it a challenge to manage money because you know when you look at the market and you go hey, this market is, is just, it, it's got to crash because we have all these recessionary drags in the economy. Well, once again, you have to look kind of below that surface. And this is an important challenge that as investors we have to do. And it does make it tough. It makes it very tough. Um, and particularly when you take a look at what sectors are performing versus what sectors that aren't. And, and this year, technology has been on a huge run along with communications discretionary. A lot of other sectors haven't performed well at all. So again, at some point, we're going to get that rotation, just like we saw this in uh, 2022. Energy was a massive outperformer, had you know 40% returns in 2022, while the rest of the market was getting killed, you know, with with the with the market drawdown. But this year, energy is the worst performing sector, so you have that rotation into the worst performing stocks of last year, which were technology, communications, discretionary. <coughs> Excuse me. So. You know, what's going to be the next rotation? That's going to be the question. Where does money go to next? And more importantly, what causes that rotation? All right, those are the things that we've got to be paying attention to. But that also, again, that's what makes all this very challenging and very difficult uh, to do. Um, but again, you know, yesterday we had this inflation report that was out. It has some implications because this has been, you know, the, the, the wish list, right, of the markets, which has been this proverbial Fed pause. When is the Fed going to stop hiking rates? 
and more importantly, when are they going to start cutting rates? That's really what they want to know. When, the, when are those rate cuts coming? Because when the Fed cuts rates, that means stocks have to go up because of liquidity into the market. See, this is what everybody's hoping for, that turn back to monetary accommodation. And did the CPI report yesterday, and really when you start digging down into the subcomponents of the CPI index, what did that say overall? And relative to what does that mean for the markets as we go forward? Because again, that's this whole disinflation and potentially deflation is the big challenge for investors as we get later into this year. So uh, we'll talk about that more in detail when we come back from the break. Get by the website. Michael Leibowitz's new article on the website now. Of course, we have our article from Tuesday talking about you know everything important about the markets and your money. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe. We appreciate you watching our video, but also subscribe to our Before the Bell channel as well. We'll keep you updated every morning with those three minutes. And our daily market commentary comes out every morning at 7.30, gets you ready for the market trading day. All on our website. It's all free, of course, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be, and knowing how health insurance works after you leave your job is vital. Our next Lunch and Learn will tackle transitioning to Medicare. Thursday, May 11th, with Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso. How will Medicare work with the insurance you already have? What are the deadlines you need to know for signing up for Medicare? Register now for our Transitioning to Medicare Lunch and Learn. Learn with Ratliff and Rosso at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. It is, of course, uh, Thursday as we get uh, this trading day underway. That means Friday right around the corner. And weekend it'll be here before you know it so just uh just grind through just one more good day here um yesterday of course was the much anticipated consumer price index report and that was the inflation headline that everybody was looking for did it, did it show signs of you know coming down uh was it too hot was it too cold and and that that was really what the markets were anticipating yesterday and and so you know as that number came out everybody started kind of parsing through it and at the end of the day, the market rallied uh, into the end of the day. And as we noted yesterday morning, we said that if the number came in above 5.5% on the upside uh, in terms of annualized CPI, that markets would probably sell off between 1% and 1.5%. 1 if it came in kind of in line, market wouldn't do a whole lot. And if it was below 4.5%, we'd be up 1.5% to 2%. And it came in pretty much in line, and markets didn't really do a whole lot yesterday. We kind of traded back and forth between positive and negative territory. Did finish up on the upside yesterday, as I said. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the CPI report, this is, of course, the one piece of data that the markets, at least, market participants, are all hanging their hat on in terms of what is the Fed going to do next, right? Is the Fed going to hike? Are they going to pause? You know, was it too hot? Was it too cold? You know, those type of things. But there's a lot of other data. This morning, as an example, we have the producer price index, which is the producer side of the business. And that is also an important component of inflation because those are the input prices that feed through to the consumer prices. So are we seeing a decline 
in those producer prices? And, and is that you know, going to ultimately help corporate earnings uh, as well in terms of reducing the input cost you know, into businesses? So paying close attention today to the PPI report. Um, you know, but these all have the, the impact on you know, at least what the market expects is what the Fed's going to do. And that's the big question. And nobody knows, but everybody's trying to figure it out. So uh, let's go to our resident Fed expert, Michael Leibowitz, and uh, kind of catch up on, you know, kind of what happened yesterday with the CPI report and what that does that mean for the Fed. Mike, good morning. So the CPI report, like you said, was as expected. And first of all, I apologize. They're doing a little work here. So if my sound quality isn't perfect, uh, it should be done hopefully soon here. The CPI report came in as expected. Uh, and the market didn't, you know, didn't really react. It was, you know, market kind of showed you what we expected. I think, I think the for the Fed, it it means nothing. It's not going to sway them to raise rates. It's not going to prompt them to say maybe we should start cutting rates. They're sitting in their seats thinking the same thing they were thinking last week when the when they had their Fed meeting. What I think is more important, and we're going to have to wait on this, are the July, August, September. CPI numbers. The the thing that that drives CPI is rent. It's it's what's called OER, owner's equivalent rent. And there's two components of within a CPI of house prices and rent. And they account for roughly a third of the CPI number. All indexes, Case-Shiller Home Price Index, the Zillow Rent Index have dropped sharply. Their their inflation rates have dropped sharply. Prices are still going up, but the rate that prices are going up are much less. So in our commentary for today, we mentioned the Zillow rent index. Mm -hmm. And at its peak, that was running at 16% annualized. It's now running at about 4% annualized. And the last month on an annualized basis is only about 25 to 3%. So rent inflation has slowed down. But the CPI measure of rent is basically at its peak, which is around 8%. So it's not a question of whether CPI captures it correctly. So CPI is at 8%, Zillow's at, eight, at 16%, Zillow's double, but it's the rate of change and those tend to follow each other. Mm -hmm. So OER should start falling. And again, that's a third of the index. So I think when we get to, and it, this is a known lag, so I think when we get to July, August, September, maybe October, somewhere in that time frame, we will hopefully start seeing CPI drop a little bit quicker, being less sticky. And that's when the Fed may start changing their tune. But I think until we can see that that component of inflation start to come down, mm -hmm. that it's just going to be wait and see. And every single number is going to get people to think the Fed's going to raise rates. The Fed's not going to raise rates. <laughs> so unfortunately, Lance, I think it's a waiting game for a little while here. Yeah, and, and don't disagree with that. And again, the PPI index will be another kind of, you know, point on that front. You know, uh, core inflation, you know, came down a little bit, but still remains fairly sticky. So from the Fed's point of view, you know, the, the things that really are important to them, trim, mean PCE, core CPI, uh, those still remain fairly sticky here. We are starting to see finally a, a little bit of relief in that area, but not a lot just yet. But I think the real question I, I, that is, is sitting out there is that, okay, inflation keeps coming down. And as the Fed, the Fed has said before, is that what they want is they want to see a clear tra tra 
trajectory, I'll spit that out this morning, of inflation heading back to their 2% target level. And we may have uh, we may be getting there, right? We may have we've seen several, you know, if we look at the year-over-year rate of change in, in CPI, there's a clear negative trend in that that is definitely coming down. So the Fed could say, yeah, the 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 negative or the declining trend in inflation is there, so we're not going to hike rates anymore. Okay, great. So they're going to pause. I think the the bigger question though is is everybody's expecting the Fed to cut rates and 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 this is why markets have been rallying is on this hope of of easier monetary accommodation. But why would the Fed cut rates? I mean, what would cause the Fed to cut rates if inflation gets back to their target level? Why would the Fed cut rates? And Lance, here's here's a thought about that. If the Fed gives up their fight against inflation, right? So say say inflation starts coming down, say it's three percent in August, right? Mm-hmm. And the Fed says, you know what? We're not taking a victory lap, but but it's it's coming to where we want it to be. We're gonna start talking about lowering rates, and maybe by the end of the year we'll drop rates by twenty-five or fifty. They make some sort of statement like that. The long end of the bond curve, so five-year bonds, well, wait, that's, ten-year but that's, bonds. That's not my question, though. My question is, is why would they cut rates? Again, well, if the, inflation's coming down, why would they? Why, what would what would be the reason but, for but, cutting rates? No, they wouldn't. And here's the problem with cutting rates: is it shows they're not against, they're not, they're not as uh, trying to get inflation down as much as they were, mm-hmm. and that could cause yields to pop up, which could be bad for banks, and it could be bad for the could could be bad for the economy. So they want to keep rates where they're at. That way they have, when we do get to a recession, they have as much fodder as possible to cut rates. Right now they can cut rates by 5% and they will at some point, but why do it? Yeah. There's still inflation. The economy's still doing very well. There are very few indicators. There's a ton of indicators <laughs> saying we're going to a recession, but there's very few that say we're in a recession. Mm-hmm. The unemployment rates at a 50 year low, Right now, there's no reason for them to change tone other than we may be close to the top or we're at the top, but certainly not that we're going to go down the other side of that mountain yet. Lance. Yeah. I, well, I know. And that, see, that's the challenging conundrum, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of indicators. And again, this weekend's newsletter is kind of dedicated to the NFIB report that was out yesterday. Just, you know, no matter how you break that data apart, whether you look at their CapEx spending expectations, their employment expectations, their just general confidence in the economy, which just rang a decade low, you know, all of those are coincident with recessions historically. Yet, again, when you look at the economic data, you don't have a lot of data sitting or, or, or suggesting that we're anywhere near a recession and, you know, economic growth still, you know, coming in 1.1% growth for the first quarter, 2.7 estimated right now for the second quarter. Um, earnings are starting to recover. Um, just downloaded uh, the S&P's earnings analysis yesterday. Uh, quarter one uh, earnings up from quarter four. So quarter four right now with the trough in earnings. Certainly doesn't seem to be that recessionary drag that we you know hear so much about, um, you know, from a lot of the mainstream media, right? Which of course that makes that that a challenge, you know, for investing, and that's the big challenge you know, is that investors are trying to to hedge against this potential risk that has refused to show up at this point. These lags are just making it very difficult for investors. Everything says we should have a recession, but. I, Lance, this time it's different. No. There was so much stimulus thrown into this system 
And it's so hard to to understand how it's working its way and, you know, moving through the system. And, and it's not just the, the stimulus, but how, you know, we've talked about this, the velocity. Mm-hmm. It keeps going around. It keeps being spent. And that, I think, is extremely hard to forecast and to predict. And the best economists on Wall Street, the Fed, can't seem <laughs> to get a handle on this, right? They didn't get inflation right. They can't get the economic data right because they don't understand how this money is moving and the psychology behind consumers, behind corporations on how they spend and invest their money. Yeah. Well, and then that, that and again, you know, we were talking about this a little bit on Monday or I think Monday on the show is that when we talk about all the stimulus that we put in there, the five trillion dollars of checks to households. But one thing we've kind of, you know, that's kind of been overlooked is that $1.7 trillion uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which is a lot of those projects are just now getting funded. We're just getting money to those areas. We've seen you know cities starting uh, to, to take in capital to do certain things. And that's, of course, you know, keeping a lot of that you know, kind of economic momentum going. And, and again, to your point, that's the one thing that we really don't know. It, it seems like at this point that you know all these indicators are suggesting, hey, we should certainly have a recession. Everybody's very gloomy. Um, you know, do we get the recession because of all that stimulus, or does eventually do we start seeing an improvement in some of this economic data, which then leads to improvement in these sentiment indicators? And those bottom and start to turn up to to play catch up with the markets. That's going to be the real kind of challenge. And we may be looking back at this in a couple of years and go, that makes no sense whatsoever. But that's what happened. (laughs) You know, uh, that's that's going to be the issue. Anyway, we'll be right back. More of the Real Investment Show this morning. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning uh so this morning also uh we'll have jobless claims coming out and of course that has been one of the indicator everybody kind of is glued to now every week as we just kind of drift from one week to the next and it's like well, okay when's the data going to show the recessions here right the recession's coming it's got to be here and it's going to show up any minute in the jobless claims and yet jobless claims have ticked up no doubt about it continuing claims have certainly come up here a bit obviously we've heard of a lot of companies laying off workers etc doing cost cutting um, but yet they remain historically very low Right. And, and again, this was to Mike's point as well uh, in the last segment, saying if you take a look at you know employment, according to the BLS, right, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and you can argue validity of the data, et cetera. Um, you know, but that data still shows that we're near historical low unemployment. In fact, there was an interesting article out this morning in The Wall Street Journal. Job satisfaction hit a 36-year high in 2022. 
Now, remember, in 2022, we're in the middle of the market dive, right? So the market's down 20%. Everything's coming off the rail. The Fed's hiking rates, and yet job satisfaction hit a 36-year high last year. Uh, of course, that has a lot of impact due to you know the pandemic shut down getting you know people got jobs back they got pay raises etc they're working from home which they like some and you know we've talked about the issue of commercial real estate and that you know just across the street from where our office building are buildings that are half empty ones in receivership and you know that's the consequences of working from home and there's still there's still a challenge there for commercial real estate but but to back to labor as an example, and again, because we'll get those jobless claims uh, um, out this morning, among the happiest workers, people who voluntarily switched jobs during the pandemic and individuals working in hybrid roles with a mix of in-person and remote work, men's satisfaction was higher than women's in every single component, especially in areas such as leave policies, uh, bonus plans, promotions, communications, and organizational culture. The survey of, was of 1,680 workers. It was conducted in November before some of those layoffs occurred. You know, since November, December, we saw some layoffs pick up in some of the big companies. So this was a little bit prior to that. Um, but again, when you try to take a look at the overall labor market, you know, these concerns of a big recessionary drawdown certainly seem to be somewhat misplaced, at least right now. Could things change over the next few months? Absolutely. Recessions show up very quickly. There's a point to where um, the layoffs kind of just start accelerating all their own. It's almost like every CEO gets on the phone with each other and goes like, today the day? And they think, yeah, today's the day. And we start laying off everybody. That's just kind of the way it, it, it seems to work in the economy. It starts slowly, then it's kind of all at once. And we've had layoffs slowly rising, but we haven't got to the all at once point. And, and I guess, Mike, is, is, that, is that point going to come at some point? Are we going to see this massive spate of layoffs? Or, you know, is this economic cycle a bit different in terms of employment because of the fact we laid off everybody back in 2020 and have just now hired them back? Yeah. I, you know, or are people scared they won't be able to hire back people if they let them go? But clearly the employment market the labor market is very strong again the unemployment rate lance is at a 50-year low it's crazy how tight the labor market is and i think what the fed kind of likes that it's starting to see now is that the labor market's very tight but wages have stopped going up nearly as much as they were so it's not as inflationary even though everyone has a job it's almost mm -hmm. like a perfect you know they found the the almost perfect environment but you know, that's the thing. If we if unemployment does not tick up materially, if people don't get laid off, if jobless claims kind of hover where they're at, we're not going to have a recession. You've never had a recession right. without employment, without people getting laid off, without unemployment going up. Now, the problem with saying that is that unemployment in recessions is always the last thing to go up. In fact, sometimes it doesn't even go up until the start of the you know until the recession has actually begun. Again, recessions are backdated, so it's not like we see it in real time. Right. But it could be that, you know, we get here in July and the unemployment rate is ticked up three tenths, four tenths of a percent. So it, it can accelerate quickly. But right now, you know, we talked about this last week. I've heard of one person who I don't I didn't even know her. She had just happened to meet her that has been laid off. I don't know of anyone being laid off. 
the, the numbers certainly don't show people getting laid off in any kind of size. And when they're laid off, they're finding jobs relatively quickly, continuing jobless claims, which measures people that filed initial claims but still haven't found work, so they keep getting the jobless claims check, is upticking. It's certainly risen, and as a percent, it's risen a lot. But as an absolute number, it's still very low, mm-hmm. or it's still low, not very low, but it's still low. So, you know, you look at these ADP and JOLTS, and you look at the employment within the IS, the latest ISM report, you know, is back to positive. So there's no signs that employment is really a problem. But again, employment can tick up really quickly. So it's something we just have to keep a close eye on and see if it changes, because without it, there's not going to be a recession. Well, and that's and that's the big challenge here, right? And, so, and again, this kind of goes with the monetary stimulus that we inject into the system, the Inflation Reduction Act, all this spending, um, you know, federal expenditures um, actually increased by almost four percent between Dece- between the last quarter and the first quarter. So more money being put into the system by the federal government. You know, there's all, all these things are kind of you know distorting kind of the economic activity, and yet. You know, everybody in the market and this, and the and I keep bringing this back to the market because it's all about psychology. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons that investors don't want to be invested in the markets. It was like, I'm, I'm concerned, you know, the market's going to have this recession, blah, blah, blah. Yet stocks keep rising here. And again, the economic data hasn't really come around to this idea of a recession yet either. And this is this is the hard part we were talking about this whole week really on the show is this hard part, this hard challenge is this dichotomy between all of these headlines and podcasts and videos and everything that's circling around, uh, you know, the markets um, and and the media talking about, oh, you know, this is going to be a terrible recession. Even the Fed wants a recession. It's going to be a disaster. And that means stocks have to decline a lot more yet that that really hasn't occurred yet. And, And as they always say, timing is everything. Um, and getting the timing right in this market has been very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're 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 in a boat, and the the weather is perfect, and we're just sailing along, and we keep listening to the radio. Watch out, there's storms way out in the distance. Watch out, there's storms way out in the distance. Watch out, the Earth is flat. It's just going to fall <laughs> off the edge of the Earth. Columbus made it to you know made it made it here, and. Uh, you know what? So, so yeah, we know about those the storms, the storm warnings. Mm-hmm. We know what can potentially happen, but at the same time, it's a beautiful day out. And even when there are little swells, they they seem to go away. That they're not they're not rocking the boat, and the boat's just moving along. And as captain of that boat, we have to be aware that there are the potential. You know, the environment is ripe for storms. But there's no clouds in the sky. There's no there's none of those telltale signs that a storm is coming imminently. Mm-hmm. Again, the environment's ripe, but that doesn't mean a storm has to happen. Well, and I think and, and, and also doesn't mean that it can't, you know, come up on you really quick, too. I, you know, I remember fishing with my dad and, and we were out in our little we had a 16 foot flat bottom boat. We go bay fishing all the time when I was growing up. And if we didn't catch fish, we went by the local fish shop on the way home and bought fish, threw them in the ice chest, and took them home to mom. Um, but you know, one we we were fishing out in San Luis Pass, and you know it was a beautiful day. Everything is fine. We're out there fishing, and literally before we knew what was going on, 
you know, the wave started to pick up a bit and, and, you know, the early kind of, hey, you know what, things are, you know, kind of clouds started blowing along and blowing in. And so we started packing everything up to get in. And before we could get back into the dock, I mean, we were in the middle of this terrible storm. Um, obviously, we all made it because <laughs> we're still here 50 years later. But, you know, but it can cut it, it really. But, you know, the issue is, is that those storms can come up on you very quickly. And so it's important to pay attention to these risks. And it's important to understand that when you start seeing the waves, you start seeing the clouds, you know, blow in that, hey, you know, we need to kind of pack it up here and get on back to the dock, you know, because, you know, this could this could get worse than expected. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, the issue of, of ignoring it entirely is certainly a risk. I mean, that's where you can you know, get into a lot of trouble very quickly. And, you know, that's the way with this market. I mean, this morning is a good example, PacWest shares. And, of course, we've been watching this whole kind of bank failure issue, um, you know, kind of continuing to kind of tumble along here. And that's another one of those big risks to the markets, right? What's going to, you know, the, this whole banking sector crisis. We've been saying for the last year and a half that, you know, when the Fed hikes rates, they hike rates to the point that they eventually break something. The breaking of something is generally either economic or credit related. Well, we're finding out that they broke something. They broke something in the banking sector. And this morning, PacWest shares are down again after reporting more deposit flights uh, last week. Those that the amount of money flying out of banks, at least at PacWest, uh, increased pretty sharply last week. Uh, investors moving their money to to other banks, right? Uh, who, who they deem to be safer, and you know this is one of those risks in the markets that this may be nothing, right? Uh, we we've been through Silicon Valley Bank already. We've been through First Republic. The markets have held in there exceptionally well. PacWest now on the ropes. Does is the market pricing in the PacWest issue, and are we going to get past this? And then maybe that'll be it. Or is this about, is this just the tip of that iceberg where something's about to break and a lot more things are about to happen? We'll talk about that risk on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So just for the break, talking a little bit about, you know, what's going on with PacWest this morning. That's dragging futures into the negative. Um, they were up positive this morning on the CPI data, but PacWest shares putting a damper on that. But here, see, this is the challenge, right? This is exactly the challenge that I've been talking about, which is all this bad news. And yet markets really kind of continue to hold in there pretty well. Um, you know, there's, and there's a couple of reasons for that. And this has been one, and this has been a career ender for a lot of portfolio managers over the last 10 years. Which, if you go back 10 years, 
lot of there a lot of reasons. Lots of uh, we've I've written them right. I'm I am just as guilty as everybody else writing articles talking about mean reversions, valuations, these type of issues, and that you know with the markets trading at extreme valuations, you're going to have a mean reversion at some point. And the, those high levels of valuations argue for lower rates of return in the future, yet that hasn't happened. And even now with this correction we went through last year, it wasn't a bear market, it was a correction. We did reduce valuations a bit, but we're nowhere near a mean reversion of valuations to a level that would be cheap. On a relative basis, say hey, I'm an, I'm all in, and that's just what a lot of people have been hoping for. I shouldn't say hoping for; that's kind of a, a bad a bad choice of words. But this is one thing that people have been expecting with the Fed hiking rates and all these other issues. Right, we're going to have this big recession that's going to cause this mean reversion, and that's going to give me a really good opportunity to buy stocks cheap. Right, hasn't happened, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, the first is is that uh, first first of all, this year the market started out the year very well in expectations that China was going to basically kind of reopen and flood the system with liquidity. Uh, that was the big driver in January. Uh, since then, China really hasn't done that. We haven't had this big flush of liquidity from China. They've kind of been on hold, and so has the market. We're about trading where we were back in February. Uh, right now with the market. So market's been kind of hung up here, kind of waiting on China's liquidity. China hasn't really come through with the liquidity yet, so that's one issue. But since 2011, where it started and has gotten dramatically worse since then, has been corporate share buybacks. Corporate buybacks have made up nearly 100% of the net purchases of stocks since 2018. And that was one of the issues that has helped companies like Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and others stay elevated. That's why one of the reasons why low prices continue to stay elevated more than people would expect. And again, Apple just announced, uh, you know, their earnings are going to do a 90, an additional $90 billion of buybacks. And, and an interesting point with that is, is that, you know, the, the, the yield on their bonds is higher than their earnings yield. So, but their yield on their bonds is less than the treasury market. So it kind of argues to make sense to buy back stock rather than issuing more debt. So this is, you know, this this is one of the conundrums that as investors we have to 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 factor in is these other influences into stock prices that keep stock prices elevated and is really distorted. This is the big challenge. You know, Mike and I deal with this every day trying to figure out, you know, how to invest the portfolio, how to manage the risk quantifying all these factors right you know the the banking issue the economy the 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 fed hikes the lag effect of all this stuff when's it going to show up if is it going to show up you know and that's why we try to present you with both sides of the cases and and and, and i and I, I understand that sometimes it seems like we're kind of talking out of both sides of our mouths like oh pack west is, is is down today and this is the problem with the banking sector yet the markets are doing fine so <laughs> we're buying stocks you know that's that's the challenge right this hasn't been like this in I, I can't remember another time in my investing career, and I'll ask Mike the same question here in a second, that it's been an environment like this, and that's been very challenging. But this is why we try to present you with both sides of the cases rather than just getting up here and saying, look, we're going to have a recession. It's going to be terrible, and, and you're going to have bank failures and all this stuff, and you know you should be in cash, and then this market keeps running off without you. 
right? We can't do that to you. We got it. We got it. That's when we have to present both sides of these cases and try to make the best decision together, you know, for our money and for our investments. And it's not easy. It's not easy. There's no easy answer to this. And there's a big propensity of being wrong, <laughs> whatever decision you make because of this market. Mike, your thoughts? Uh, you just summed it up very well. It's defying market logic. Like even 2008, 2001, you go back through these various events that we've we've had our careers through. Man, uh, it, they were not. They were trying. They were hard, but they didn't defy logic. It made sense what was going on. Now, at times during those periods and other periods, markets become very irrational. You know, I think we're seeing that with some of these banks right now. Markets become irrational. And actually, Lance, if you let me detour for a second sure. here, uh, Lance and I were on the phone uh, yesterday or two days ago, and my son walks in. We were actually on hold. We were on a conference call, but on hold. And he says to me, he's got, I don't know, seven, eight thousand dollars at its Capital One. And he goes, Dad, I need to make more money on that. I need to buy a money market fund. I go, okay, I'll, I'll help you with that. Let me just, I'm on with, I'm on a call right now. Let's get, let me get back to you later. And then I'll give the G rated version here. But he said, <laughs> and the blank, blank, blank bank is going to go out of business soon. <laughs> so, so just for the record, he does not listen to, he does not read anything I write. He does not listen to this show. He, I, we have, I have not talked to him about this. So he got one thing right. You know, he said, I got to get my money somewhere where it's earning 5%, not 0%. And even on $8,000, that's an extra, you know, 400-ish a year. So he's correct there. But then, you know, somehow he got in his mind that the banks are going under and he wants to get his money out of the bank. You know, it would be interesting if he was at JP Morgan, if he would have made that comment. But regardless, this is what's going through to society. And people that are not aware of the situation are, are making the same decision. A, they, the, the logical decision to move it to a higher yielding instrument or higher yielding place. But B, I don't want my bank going out of business. And does he know about FDIC? I don't know. He's not, he's not going to lose his $8,000 even if Capital One fails today. But how much do how much are people really aware of this and that's this is the problem with these markets markets become irrational and this problem with the banks can become more irrational and create problems or it can just fizzle away and you know as both investors and economists we're stuck and financial crisis management <laughs> we're 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 kind of you know, just trying to read all these tea leaves and understand why things are happening and understand why things that we thought would happen are not happening or not happening yet. And Lance, first show of the year, what do we say? We're going to be audible in a right. lot. We're going to be coming bullish. We're going to be bearish, bullish, bearish. So, you know, there are times where we're going to be bullish when it looks bad out. And there are going to be times where it's bearish, where it may look good out. And it, it, it's an extremely difficult environment, and it's an environment ripe for problems, but it's also an environment that's ripe for a lot of upside because the, the FOMO from all the way back, you know, 2020 has not truly left the market. And every once in a while, like last, uh, we were up a lot last Monday or Tuesday, mm -hmm. yep. you see those signs of it. And you go up 50, 60 points. And then you waver around for a few days and you go up another 20. Next thing you know, you're up a couple percent on a week. And 
the market's not showing these downward drafts like we were seeing last year. It, it's a very positive looking market, albeit it's being led by five or 10 stocks. But, you know, just trying to lay out the environment that we're in and we're fully understanding of the most extreme bearish case. We're fully understanding of the bullish case. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to drive our boat and keep an eye on the <laughs> on the horizon and look for those clouds for the change in wind for the, you know, whatever it is that boaters look for to see that the weather's changing. Right. Um, you know, lightning strikes is always a good thing. So <laughs> good indicator. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this and again, you know, this is the point that, you know, as we get ready to kind of wrap up the show today, but this is this is really the key point. You know, I, I got a phone call the other day and it's like, you know, why aren't you short the market? It's like, well, there's no reason to be short the market. Well, obviously, this market's going to go down because of all these issues. I, you know, and again, this is the the challenge because I can also make you a very good bullish case right now. Technically, there's nothing wrong with this market. Technically, it's fine. Um, and, you know, yes, we have a very small number of stocks that are that are driving most of the gains, but there's a lot of other stocks that are making gains this year. You know, Monster Beverage is a good example. It's not in the top 10 stocks, but it's had a very nice year so far. Home builders uh, of all of all, you know, kind of of all cases. Right. Why would home builders be doing well in a housing market that is having all these challenges, right? But home builders have been doing exceptionally well since October. They bottomed in October. They're near all-time highs right now. So some of these things make no sense whatsoever as to what's going on, but that's where money flows are going, and investors are, are able to make some money here. But it's a very selective market. It's a very selective market. And, and you know, if you don't have you know, just all the right stocks, there's a lot of other stocks that are getting hurt. Um, there's a lot of other stocks that are down this year. And, you know, those are way on. Again, you take a look at last year's winter. If you were long, you know, energy stocks last year, they're not performing this year. They're lagging the market by a great deal. So, again, it's been a very selective market. It's been a, a very challenging market to make money in. Doesn't mean you can't make money in it, but it's just something that is is not as easy as it appears from the surface. Anyway, Mike, thanks so much for joining today. Uh, PPI index out this morning. All eyes will be on that. And jobless claims. Uh, futures were positive. They're kind of flat to lower right now. The Dow's down about 100. The S&P's down about 3 at the moment. Uh, S&P was up almost 20 earlier this morning on futures, but this is because of this whole PacWest issue. Uh, and of course, in anticipation of what this inflation data may be as well. So futures may turn around at 7.30 when we get those uh, inflation data out. But again, uh, get by the website. Our latest articles are out. Our newsletter will be out this weekend. Make sure you're subscribed. And our daily market commentary out already this morning. It'll be emailed to you at 7.30. So make sure you're subscribed at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday with Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso. Have a great day.